I think the nice thing about Smash Bros. Ultimate is that people expected something to happen and then it did. It's nice. Which, given what's been going on the past few weeks, is just a weird thing. (laughs) Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 181 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm trying to figure out if 181 is prime or not. I'm Sam and I do art. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is December 10, 2018. Well, this is a normal day. Yeah, it's just, just a, a normal just, day. Just a normal, normal Monday, nothing weird going on. So, also before we get started, we have a warning. There's gonna be a lot of weird stuff happening today yeah. in this show. Uh, there's gonna be profanity, lewdness. We're gonna talk about stuff that kids don't either shouldn't hear or can't hear because of the pitch. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. gonna be very deep. Yeah, like kids a, can only hear very high pitch noises. Yeah. Yes. So uh, if you're a kid, don't even bother trying to listen because you won't be able to process. Although what's I think happening. if you slow it down a lot, then it also makes it. Or sorry, if you speed it up real fast, mm-hmm. then it also makes it high pitched, and that way you can hear it better. Yeah, as I understand, children can only hear extremely high pitched sounds, like a yeah. like a dog whistle, kind mm-hmm. of a. That's why they scream basically all the time. Yeah, yeah it's that's how they a communication can, method. It's a very rich uh, sound, but as adults, all we hear is just the the lower parts of the scream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just is. Which like, are the parts like, that are? It's kind of like how bagpipes they have like that one constant horrible piercing tone yeah. that runs under the the, the whole thing, uh-huh. you know. And then there's music on top. That's like how kids speak to each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. There's a blood curdling scream, a drum, which is just a drum. <laughs> yeah. There's a that, scream, and then there's all kinds of stuff going on up there mm-hmm. in the high register. Yeah. We're not privy to. That's where they're solving math theorems and doing mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Problem is, their memory sucks, and they forget about it by the time you know they're old enough to share it with the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We've got a multitude of recurring supporters who we appreciate very much. If you'd like to support the podcast, get on over there and uh, we'll grab the money. Let's turn that multitude into a plethora. Into a platitude. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I think it's, that's the platitude. Uh, all right. Well, Wait, is the platitude like a – I think it's just like a, like a, a mundane, overused saying or it's something. It's not overused. Yeah. It's, it's a generically – it's a generically used uh, like a positive apology. statement. Positive. Okay, yeah. Oh, so if you say like "thank you" or like "you're welcome" or uh, right, I don't know. I'm I don't know. Sure I, feel like, I feel like there's a <laughs> negative thing around it. Like it's like it doesn't have any meaning. Or well, something, it's a platitude right? in that it's not like it's not going to be unique to whatever the scenario is. Yeah, you but I think I mean? that's true of like all language, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I think you're not supposed to be platitudinous. But, but I'm not sure why. What about what, what about plongitude? Plongitude is what fine. If, if you <laughs> platitudes <laughs> and plongitudes. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's how you figure out, you know, where the point that's is. That's how you, that you find out where to, to apologize. Nice to yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Figuring out how to apologize properly is all about finding the intersection between your platitude and your plongitude. It's uh-huh. just like how in <laughs> economics you've got your supply and demand and equilibrium is where the lines cross. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so if know? platitude is like the nice things that are commonly said that basically hold no meaning. That was the idea. It's like it's yeah, yeah. it's it's a platitude because it's been said so much that it's more like a habitual response as opposed to like a deep. I think plongitude is is the, the situation. Version. Oh, okay. So you got to line up the thing that you say with the situation to hit it mm-hmm. in exactly the right spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To hit the exact right spot so that nobody cares what you said. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, all right. So we we've been doing some churning on level head, but we are gonna sit on some on that news yeah. for a while because we're still figuring some things out with level head. Um, it's good stuff. Yeah. But we're not, our brains aren't fully formed, mm-hmm. so we can't say anything about Any it. Any more time to marinate. Yeah. So instead we're going to talk about 
We got some, there's some shit that happened in the industry. Games industry is is, is popping. So I was laughing because okay, so last week on Monday we recorded and we were talking about Steam's big announcement of that. Oh yeah, like the richer you are, the more of a of a break we're gonna give you on Mm -hmm. your on your royalties. And we were talking about how this is kind of weirdly like unfriendly to the bulk uh, of the platform, the people who really need the the break, which is the people at the bottom. But also from a business perspective, how it made sense because. A lot of the big players were bailing from from Steam and, and launching games directly to players because they don't want to lose 30% of their revenue. Um, so I think later the same day. Yes, yeah, on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, after we were, I think it was the next. It was the next day. Maybe it was on the Tuesday. next day, yeah. Epic, the creators of Fortnite and the Unreal Engine came out and said, oh, yeah. Uh, and they said they're launching their own store uh, with a 12% royalty instead of 30 so there's a significant difference. so they so Steam basically said, hey, if you're like doing super good, then you get a twenty percent we'll only take twenty percent mm-hmm. and epic just like spiked a volleyball <laughs> right into <laughs> valve's face. It's been uh, really interesting because they also they launched alongside or they launched the store already, so they announced it and then it went live that like, day that day By the later, end of the yeah. day their store was up and then I they think had, it was up on Thursday well because because they already have a launcher for fortnite yep. And Which so has like a this is exactly what Blizzard did with World of Warcraft. Like they had a they had a, a Blizzard launcher that was used to launch World of Warcraft. Well, this is also what Steam did originally. This is what Steam with did. Half-Life. And it's sort of like what Discord did where mm-hmm. it had a chat client with a jillion users and then yeah. suddenly they launched a store into yeah. it. So it is so, like you've got a platform with millions of people using it. Just start selling stuff through it because mm-hmm. you've got the people there. So the really interesting thing about this is that uh, both a number of games have already launched onto that platform that just people didn't even know existed. So Supergiant just pulled a Beyonce and they were like, hey, we have a new game uh, <laughs> yeah. and it's on the store. I didn't know anything about this. Did you know anything about this? I've, I knew something was happening. I didn't okay. know. Specific. Their game Hades in early access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I talked to the art director and, and I heard that she said that we're on the war path to announce something soon. That was like three months ago. I mean, so their, last like, I title was, their last title was well, just over a year ago that they launched. Was it a year? Yeah. Fire. It was yep. fire. Yeah, it was last last like September or something, right? I think it might have been longer than that. No. I don't know. Like it really was. I have like no it's, it's been, uh, concept it's been really of time. time. Yeah, no, there so. is that. Yeah, they, this was a very fast turnaround. It's very fast turnaround. Which is cool. But it so, is early access. So it's not – they haven't launched a finished game. They're still, mm-hmm. they're still yeah, churning. And, and I don't know I – I haven't played it, so I don't know if it's like early access for six months or early access for five years, you know. Yeah. So there's, there's some – Range there. Well, apparently Fortnite is still early access, which I didn't even realize <laughs> until I looked it <laughs> up. Was it really? Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's sort of like how how Gmail was in beta for I Gmail think, was 10 in years. beta. Minecraft finally came out of beta like two years ago yep, or something. Yep. Um, apparently, that's that's just the thing now is to just put your game in early access. Well, actually, you remember back when we launched Beastcatch ID, we had we had a little beta that was also mm-hmm. like on the the logo yeah and our plan was just to keep it on there just forever yeah just that forever. way we can just keep doing stuff to it and people yeah. will, will be like well yeah it's, i mean it's a beta. they're still working it's, on it's, this one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so the epic store launches and then uh, on top of that the game awards for for last week and so the, the equivalent i think about them actually kind of like the mtv music awards almost where it's like this big kind of raucous thing and then they have a bunch of announcements for new games coming out as well as these awards given to uh you know various categories of winners and stuff and so a ton of games were announced there, and, and Epic, of course, you know, threw down there as well. And the most interesting thing about it is that now, as of this morning, a little report came in that a number of studios have actually removed their game from Steam. And are it was up only launching. It are only launching, including uh, Coffee Stain Studios. So they did Satisfactory. They, go- Sa- they made Goat Simulator. Goat Simulator, yeah. yeah. So there's a new game coming out, which is beautiful, which is definitely an Unreal Engine. 
Which, by the way, <laughs> if you're launching into the Epic Store, you don't have to pay them the royalty. Right. So, so you're getting an even better deal. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> it, comes out the of, it comes out of your 12% yeah. instead of being added to your 12%. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so they they pulled their game off of Steam. Uh, and a couple other games apparently have done this. So And they made a hilarious video where the creator the, the, the owner of, the community manager yeah. was of, of Coffee Stain basically said, like, I understand that some people are gonna have some strong opinions about us removing our game from Steam. That's cool. Have those opinions. <laughs> I, I loved it. It was like, refreshing. I would but, never do it. No, but to me, to me, what this says is that Epic is taking their Fortnite money and they are paying developers I mean, they gotta be. for exclusives. Because yeah. like the, the risk is, would be way too high. The risk otherwise. is too high to, to come to a brand new store. Um, with no idea how many people buy games there. Yeah. With yeah. no idea what kind of support you're going to get from the platform, et cetera. It's like they have to know they have to know all of those things in order for this to yeah. to not or be to a have some budget. very strong mitigating you know yes. scenario like, like a huge a, amount a of money big pile of money yeah. <laughs> right yep. so we're curious how to see this, see how this whole thing shapes out i think it's going to be i think i think it's going to be a turbulent couple of weeks well, for Valve so, in particular so let's let's also talk about cuz it's not it's not just about the royalty like that's yeah. a that's a big deal yeah. but as developers we've had numerous uh, issues with every platform, not not Steam, but yeah, like any any platform that we've launched on. Um, we've always had this kind of like recurring thread throughout our podcast and just throughout our general business discussions about the fact that that any platform that we're on, they're always looking out for number one, right? So they're saying like, if you integrate our you know Game Center or Steam achievements or Google Play Game Services mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, then then we'll like think about featuring your game and like basically do all the stuff that is about us and then we'll you know give you the aside from taking the 30% cut then yes. we'll think about <laughs> right. we'll yeah. think about featuring your game um and there's nothing that that gives us control correct there's nothing in that in that relationship that allows us for example to like email our players and say like, Hey, we got a new patch coming out or like, Hey, we got a new game coming out. Mm-hmm. Unless um, we invent our entire own user management system, which, which is, which is why B sketch ID and now rumpus right. exist. Rumpus and B sketch ID exist because we, we had no control over these yeah. things. Um, and it, and it was to the point where we, not only do we have no control, but now we needed to make our own, you know, sort of our own first party solution to it. And we also knew that because players didn't have to give us information, we had to give them a really good value add Mm-hmm. In return for it, which is then that's the origin of our cross game uh, yeah. unlocks and, and cross platform safe syncing was not because originally we thought it would be cool, but because we needed a reason for people to give us their email yeah. addresses. So right? we could actually talk to our customers. So that we could talk to our customers and be like, hey, we just launched a new it's game. Not, yeah, it's not that we have like a burning passion for email newsletters. Yeah. It's that we ha- something we have to do because that's the mm-hmm. market that we're in, right? Yeah. Um, and so, of course, like we're trying to have a good time with it. And all that, and we're and we're getting to use Rumpus and Bscutchd to do all kinds of awesome well, things. Well, the interesting wouldn't. thing is, is had we not had to do this, these these wouldn't exist probably. Like we wouldn't actually be doing this. I'd be a game programmer instead of a web programmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we wouldn't have that differentiator that basically no other studios have. Yeah, is the whole yeah. Cross but, game but I think importantly, for other studios, by not doing this, yeah. they put themselves at a big risk, which well, is every time the, they launch a game, they're now totally right. Well, uh, the, it is not even that they put themselves in that position. It was just that the cost to get out of that position yeah. Yeah, it's was, huge. was yeah. huge yeah. and almost nobody could get over it. Yeah. But really this is also a problem that Epic had because yeah. of course they've launched games for years and yeah, there's some interviews with, with Tim Sweeney. He's the guy who, who runs Epic 
basically said, yeah, like a big part of their problem is the fact that they couldn't reach, they've never been able to actually reach their player base anywhere because anytime you launch a game, it's just so weird that there's this middleman in the way and then they just don't let you talk to the people who are buying your yeah. stuff. Yep. Um, or you can only talk to your customers in very unusual ways. So for example, like responding like, to reviews, responding to reviews, yeah. right? And so, and then, and then they, they talked about things like how if somebody finds a bug in your game on Steam, mm-hmm. Uh, Steam does not give that player a way to report that bug to you. They give you reviews and forums. Right. So, so people things. go to the forums and they're mad and then they give you a negative review, which then tanks the success of your game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and games are also subject to uh, review bombs and brigading and all this stuff. And as a developer, you can't intervene because these these are Steam's right. systems and that's how it's set up and you can't do anything. You can't to turn keep, off the forums, for example. We have asked, right. actually. Yeah. Yeah. You we can't did, turn off the forums it. for your game. That's a forced feature that all games must have. Um, and there's no way for you to insert any kind of like middle step uh, on Steam itself for people to like report bugs to you or anything like that. It's just people will just give you a thumbs down and, and that's it. So so they, they made the announcement. Uh, Epic then talked about like that they were trying to work against these issues and develop an environment that is much more uh, developer friendly, mm-hmm. where they're saying like we want to give players a way to report issues to developers without just like review bombing them. Um, we want we, we are gonna, not going to have any forums. Like let mm-hmm. the developers create their own forums wherever they want, so that it's under their control, right? Um, and so they're they're weirdly like they're one of their sort of uh, uh, selling points is stripping away yeah. some of the features that right. Steam has. Uh, but then there's a lot of people who are also talking about how they think that this lack of features is going to be something that that hurts the Epic Store, mm-hmm. which I've been thinking about this, and I think – I don't think people really care. I don't – yeah. I don't think – yeah. Because uh, Fortnite is now – now has 8 million something uh, con- daily concurrent players at peak, which uh, – Is about the daily concurrent user base on Steam. Steam's is like 14 million. Yeah. Uh, but that's just like people who have Steam running, right? Yep. Like they're not necessarily like actively playing games on Steam. It's yep. just that there's like 14 million people using Steam at a given time. Um, and so this one game mm-hmm. by itself yep. is now competing with with all 26,000 games on Steam simultaneously. Um, and nobody seems to care that it's just through this epic launcher and they don't have Steam achievements mm-hmm. for it and they don't have yep. all these other things. And so, so I think m- maybe the old guard – will care like people who grew up on steam kind of like we did um and and that that's like at a really core part of their gaming ecosystem but but that's not necessarily maybe the majority of people anymore certainly Uh, not the majority of players anymore definitely not so you look at a game like Fortnite. the whole point the really interesting and weird thing about it has been the has been the wide reach that it has despite being a crafting first person shooter right yeah if you would say like, hey, we're going to make a game that has – that can reach mar- a market cap of like 8 million concurrent users uh, and it's a, f- it's a shooter with crafting in a 3D environment, no one – literally no one would be like, that's like, too hardcore yeah, of a game. Too like, nobody's yeah. going to play that. And you'd be like, also, it's on phones. Yeah. You'd be like, that's not a thing. <laughs> it's yeah. not even <laughs> so I think things are changing very, very quickly and I think uh, this, this Epic Store announcement is – a big, big shakeup in the industry. And my, my curiosity is what Valve's response is going to be in the next couple of weeks. Between now and then the time our podcast launches. Yeah, because apparently it's how it two days. So this week, something's going to happen. So. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know because I have to look at most, – most companies are pretty leaky in terms of information. Yeah. 
there are some like impressive exceptions, uh, including like Bethesda has in the past done a remarkably good job of somehow keeping information about like Fallout titles a secret and stuff. And so there there are definitely some exceptions out there, but but a lot of this stuff like just kind of gets out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's nobody will ever admit that you know that. So, but uh, what I wonder is, did Steam make the, its original announcement with the new revenue share split? complete without any awareness whatsoever about what Epic was about to do? Or was that already their no. attempt, their like best attempt to mitigate this problem, hmm. right? Because presumably Valve has built its entire company around this 70-30 split, right? Yeah. In terms like they know how much money that, that they're bringing in. They know how much everything costs. They know how, they just, they know all these things that are happening. Uh, consider that also Steam, I, I believe unlike Epic, at least for the moment, uh, provides things like uh, save syncing and even multiplayer yeah, and matchmaking. They actually, they actually provide they have a ton of features. Yeah. So if you if you're creating an, a real time multiplayer game with heavy web components, you actually get to offload like all Rocket of that. League like or Rocket League. You actually get to offload all that cost onto Steam. Even like uh, user account creation. Yep. Like if I play Rocket League, I don't make an account. No, you just use Steam. Yeah. I don't even have to know the the studio who made the game. I don't have to know what their website is. And of course, this is great for Steam because this prevents you, the the, the customer, from actually having a relationship with the developer. So so to me, this is actually – this is a bad thing for the developer, but it's in the guise of a good thing, which is that now you as a developer – It's easy as a player to just like boot up the game and play. Well, it's easier for the developer because you don't have to build your own web infrastructure. And so when it comes to that 70-30 split for like a real-time multiplayer game for an indie studio – uh, that's probably pretty dang close to worth it, actually, in terms of just like deal. what you're getting out yeah. of that. And it so, can be a good deal. I think is it can be a perfectly good deal. You know, well, and it's also it. it's also better than not having any success at all, right? Yeah. I think I think that's well. But then there's the question of like, if you don't use those features, can you have your your percentage reduced? You know, <laughs> like, right? And it, well, if also, not, if they don't feature you, could you have your percentage reduced? Like, right. yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that they could do. But so what I wonder is, is they've now built this enormous web infrastructure. They provided all these services that developers can use that just is part of the thirty percent cut, you know, and uh, and so so they know they know what their costs are, right? And they know what their plans are for what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, is it the case that they actually like because of where they are right now, the best they can do because of how they've structured their company is like this new tier that they came up with, right? Uh, could they even realistically like move to the same eighty eight twelve? I would say probably no because. Of the fact that there, what's that? I can, I don't remember the name of the theory, but it's like it's the idea that when whenever they add more lanes to roads, traffic just scales up exactly yeah. in proportion, right? And I've even thought about how like we we've developed all these tools that allow us to make games a lot faster. So what do we do? We make games slower because we've got all these fun tools to play with, <laughs> and then our ideas get ideas like get our our, yeah. I, yeah. our eyes get bigger than our mouths, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so so. Businesses work the same way, which is your expenses always scale up to the peak of your revenue, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, so that you like you take a little bit of profit at the top, and then otherwise all the money kind of like just gets spent. And so, in the case of of Epic, they can say like, "Yeah, we're we're doing a an eighty eight twelve because they haven't actually developed any infrastructure around the store yet. Yeah. So their expenses haven't scaled up to yeah. anything. Yeah. Right. But for Steam, if if they just came and out now, today, they'll, now they'll just have a budget. And they have to just work within yeah. this eighty-eight twelve, and that because they can now build their store around mm-hmm. the split. Whereas yeah. with Steam, if they just if they just came out today and said we're also doing a this split, then they've just cut their money by two thirds. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. all, and that's all their money. That's yeah. That's they just have from. a third as much money now. Yep. Although it is still the case that the biggest games on Steam are still Valve's games. 
Yes. In terms of. But compared to how much money Steam brings in as a whole, they yeah, probably yeah. are not. Yeah. It's not. Whereas, whereas with Epic, sizable. it's backwards, right? Like Fortnite is bringing in like 300 million a month. Right. And the Epic store is not bringing any money yet because they just launched it a week ago. Yeah. They, they could they could spend a million dollars a day on it. Yeah. Yep. Be fine. And they'd still be breaking even. Yeah. <laughs> and they would only have $270 million a month left. All right. A, pun- a month. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It would be the case that with Steam. So even with this, yeah. with this new split they came up with, they, that, if you, I mean, it had to have been designed with a very explicit goal because their their aim is to either make as much money as possible. Actually, that is their aim. That's the aim of any you know company that's behaving right. as a company, right? So if that's your aim, then if you come out with that with that new structured tier, there's a reason for that that has to do with either making more money or not losing money that you're afraid yeah. you're going to lose, right? And they've yeah. been they've been hemorrhaging AAA studios for years now. More so it's only going to get worse, before. more so this, this year than ever, especially in the past. It's always just a thing that quietly happened, but it's now mostly because of Epic and Tim Sweeney is becoming mm-hmm. very, like, very loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say this is a very Tim Sweeney move to basically, because yeah. like, because any other company. So think about like Candy Crush making billions of dollars a year. What was their, what was their move? Well, they just got acquired by Activision and yep. now they just keep making Candy Crush. They're, they're not like, we're going to now like, now that we have this money, we're going to use it for some other thing yeah. that like pisses us off or whatever. <laughs> Instead, they're just like, oh, we have all this money and now we can use it to make more money. Yep. Just full stop. Just keep doing the thing we're doing. And Tim Sweeney gets his, they get Fortnite out and then he's like, well, now we, now we can really <laughs> throw a wrench into things. <laughs> uh, yeah, which I'm, cur- I'm curious to see where this goes. I'm, I'm sure something will happen this week, so we'll kind of yeah. Because the thing is that, that Steam, yeah, Steam can't just suddenly match like they probably can't. not. Yeah. They can't without an enormous restructuring of their company, or because I mean it is of course possible. I wouldn't say likely because I have no idea, but it is of course possible that that Valve is mostly a profit generating machine, making you know. Gabe and maybe a few other people uh, just obscenely wealthy and that there's actually a huge margin there because I mean, the fact is there is a huge margin if depending on what they're yeah. doing with that money, right? There definitely is. And, uh, and because of how much money steam makes and how historically they've actually kept to be a pretty small company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is quite possible. I mean, not without taking an enormous hit in, in yeah. profit, but it is quite possible that they actually have room to do this. Uh, but that would, that would come the cost of a bunch of people having, Way less infinite money than they used to, and now just having regular old infinite money, mm-hmm. you know. So just regular, regular, infinite regular old infinite money. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I don't know, but I think it is more likely that they have grown to match their costs, at least to a large extent. Who knows? Which means that they have to. I can't see why the they would. Yeah. Well, if you also consider that, you know, for at least a decade, from 2004 to 2014, I would say, right? Um, like when, like from the time Steam started until like around the time that Greenlight popped up um steam was just unquestionably the place to get games like you th- all the best games were on there um and you could pop open the front page and just like throw a dart at it and you just have awesome games well and they, right? and they were acting as a publisher because of how yeah. few games there were right. because they were the only platform they, which is which is also the origin of the 70 30 split right? Right. that's like a classic publisher move yeah not a classic distributor move right, right. and so so with the and you know like they were just kind of in the wrong place, wrong time, I I would say, because like the way that they used, the way that steam used to carry games was like manually by hand. Developers would email valve. They'd be like, I have this game. And then somebody at valve would look at it and Mm -hmm. play it and make a decision about what it was going to be and and what they thought it would succeed. And what they found was that, was that 
with things like Unity, Game Maker, Unreal Engine, uh, and then all these other uh, like smaller platforms popping up, the volume of of things that they were getting from developers was just astronomical. They just couldn't keep up, and a, they had a bunch of games that were mega successes that they didn't think we're going to actually do that well mm-hmm. and also vice versa. So they realized like they can't tell, they can't curate no. this platform because they have no clue what's going to succeed. Mm-hmm. So that's where mm-hmm. Greenlight came from, which then sort of opened the floodgates um, based on just kind of the way that that was structured. But then as steam gets covered with more and more and more, just like really sort of like bottom of the barrel uh, throwaway games that people make in like a day or two, um, then the quality of the experience on the platform goes down right. Uh, and then also the, the reliability for traffic and for sales goes down for developers too. Right. Because now vi- visibility is harder. Discoverability is harder. Um, everything gets harder as a developer and the experience gets worse as a player. Um, and then when you switch that over from like to cut out green light entirely and go to the steam direct model, now all of a sudden that all those problems get even worse. And so in just the past few years, it's gone from steam just being like the unquestionable, you know, king of the market to now people finding so many issues with trying to like put their games onto there that now just like all of a sudden you got discord, you've got Epic, yeah. um, you got all these other competitors popping up thinking that they can sort of fix all these problems, mm-hmm. which mostly comes down to curation of content, I would say. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's been an interesting, an interesting year. <laughs> well, I think it is the case for steam. It's an interesting week. <laughs> <laughs> I think steam has to keep the triple a titles because that was why people got Steam in the first place because Steam was basically the publisher of AAA digital content for, like you said, a decade, right? Yeah. And when they opened the floodgates, and starting with Greenlight, though the less so because at least that was still mostly like people said, hey, I want to buy this. And Steam was like, cool, I guess if you want to buy it, then we'll let it come on here and so on. Uh, but but then once they went to Steam Direct and just like really opened everything, then now all of a sudden that's not – it's it just really isn't a marketplace for, for – premium content premium in the sense of really good not in the sense of mobile right but yeah but for really high quality content it's not just the source of all content uh and then further because digital distribution has become easier and easier every month yeah. or literally since like since the dawn of the internet right uh that it has become more and more feasible for all these triple a studios yeah. to start doing their own distribution yeah. and at really, the beginning the only, the only complicated thing is like taxes and payment processing at that yeah point which, which is definitely complicated yeah. but but there are new there's new services literally every month that yeah. help you with those problems right so you don't have to solve those things yourself anymore and so all the things that steam had to solve itself a long time ago that made it sort of what it is today uh, are almost are basically now all just like out of the box solutions that you have a well, thousand yeah. competitors for the so same with really like, same cheaply. with making games like, yeah exactly you used to have to build everything from scratch yeah. and now you've got things like yeah. Unity. and so the big problem now is just basically as you can see and you can see this too right like like EA and uh, Ubisoft, like all these all these companies, everybody has started their own to. They yeah. did, but they but they when they did launch their own launcher, most of them still were putting their stuff on Steam, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what we've been seeing over the past few years is that more and more there are games that get launched that now don't appear on Steam at all. They just stay within the launcher of the the store that mm-hmm. made them. And it's because, of course, they were trying to mitigate their risk. They said, well, we know our players have been getting our games on Steam. That's right. where our user base is. We can't talk to our user base because Steam Steam owns the users, right? right. And so it was very risky to, to do anything else. But as those games have pushed people more and more – or as those, uh, those, those studios have pushed people more and more towards these games, added online content so that people have to sign in like we did, right? right. So they start collecting user information so that they can actually reach out to you then they've been happier and happier just to forego Steam altogether. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of that, especially the past couple of years. Um, 
and especially especially this year uh, where, where we saw people very publicly say that they weren't coming out. Well, this, this is the year of the reckoning basically because it's like – It is. At some point, the bill becomes due, right? But if but if Steam stops getting AAA titles – Yeah, they're done. It be, it's it's done now because the reason that people come to Steam well, is now, not now it because of – it becomes a fancy itch. It becomes yep. a fancy itch yeah. <laughs> that used to be a place where, where AAA titles were published, yeah. right? Well, and so, and so this, is the, this is I think the, the challenge is that like there's now going to be a bidding war. Because Epic can bid. Like they have the money to bid on AAA games and be like, hey, we'll give you like a twenty million up front if you just like <laughs> yeah, put your right. game on a platform. But presumably and that's like Valve a day has and a half of revenue. Yeah, for presumably that. Valve has the money to do it too. Right. But they, they historically have never have because they were the publisher, yeah, right? Because they never had to they never had to. So I was talking with my friends about this and she said it sounds similar to the OPEC oil situation from like ten or twenty years ago because OPEC controlled all of the oil and but they kept on raising the prices. Such that at some point, um, basically to operate with OPEC in your country, or else it just costs a shitload of money. And at some point, someone was like, well, we'll just build a refinery ourselves. Yeah. Fuck you. you know? <laughs> yep. um, and then everybody started doing it. And then suddenly, this, the, whole, like, the whole bottom collapses. Yeah. 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 Um, and the people left scrambling in the day were- Because it's all built on the monopoly, not yes. on the actual service being, or the yeah. service or good being. And I think provided. it's absolutely true that the the value that, that the really, the true value that Valve brought to the table with Steam has- not not even within Steam, but like the so the web infrastructure, the like tying people together with their community, the the downloads of the games, all of that has been eroded massively over the last ten years. Not yeah. because of anything Valve's done, but just because of technology. So yeah, like just AWS, the, the technology has made it. Yeah, AWS yeah. Did exist. and even and I'm pretty sure even Valve uses AWS for their peak traffic nowadays. They do, yeah, yeah, because they, they they have their own infrastructure for like, like their you know like their main core level thing. But when we went to the to their, cause I've seen one of their talks about it, and I'm pretty sure that they have. Because they have this really dramatic, like daytime, yeah. nighttime swing yeah. user base. Yeah, like, well, they don't they don't need that much server infrastructure all the time. Yeah, time. so they just rent it out from on right. like peak or or when games launch and that right. kind of thing. So yeah, it's like all the, the all the infrastructure is there. So many things are just like you know turnkey solutions. Yep. Or like, and you can just buy. You can just buy stuff that just does all the work for you. You know, like I mean, Amazon AWS even has like game matching services and things. Yeah, like, I've never do. I've never even touched them, right. but but they exist, right? So. So yeah, all the stuff that Valve, yeah, Valve did an amazing job of being like the first ones to solve all of those very hard problems at a time when it was even harder Impossible, to solve them. Yeah, I mean, they they have every right to have been the the dominant force in the market at the mm-hmm. beginning. Um, the problem was nothing about their business model changed yeah. the whole time. That's true. And, I was actually thinking and none of it changed to match the changes in technology. And we had to work this morning. I was, I was thinking about how interesting it is that. Things like Airbnb, uh, Twitter, Facebook, like you name it, whatever. All these big technological shifts come from like a random person mm-hmm. as opposed to like, – I was like, why is it that you know, AT&T didn't create Twitter? Mm-hmm. And it's because they had SMS and they wanted everybody to use SMS texting and pay, and pay 10 cents per text message or whatever, yeah. right? And so – Which is still unbelievable how much – they, yeah, they, they charge yeah it still costs that much. I don't know why. Well, it's actually How can the this case, be? though, that but once once you have something, your interest is in is always in preserving that thing yeah. and investing in it and growing that thing. So it's it's just the case that it's like you're not right. going to have a you lot of money. You don't want to disrupt your yeah, own You don't want to disrupt <laughs> your own business. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so disruptions always come from the outside. And then if those disruptions are beneficial enough to other people or enough people find value in what that thing is bringing, then, of course, that sort of puts the, the dominant players – to bed, mm-hmm. then they become the the dominant force for ten to twenty years. Um, but then, at a certain point, things change enough that somebody else gets mm-hmm. pissed off and shows up and shakes <laughs> yeah. everything up again, mm-hmm. right? 
Yeah. So it's it's interesting that this is and and like before we were born was the big video games crash of yeah. like the early 1980s. Um, and so we were we came up in the age of Nintendo, right? Like that was because yeah, Nintendo was the survivor of the crash. They emerged from the crash yeah. from the burning rubble. Yeah. Um, and so if you've been alive long enough, then you'll see this cycle really like churn through yeah. multiple times. Um, and so we're, we're now seeing one of these big, big sh- sort of tectonic mm-hmm. shifts, I feel like. And the thing is like, maybe, maybe nothing will come of this. Maybe the Epic store won't really put much of a dent yeah, uh, into things at all. Um, and, and so far it seems like, you know, discord, we, we knew they were going to launch a store. Like we saw that coming, but at the same time, we'd we haven't really seen this, the same kind of response from developers and from yeah. like people like making these huge we'll shit. It's, so, it's about getting AAA games. Yeah. Really. And so, so like, one thing we know Epic is has journey. They've got journey. Yeah. I, I, Michael. I've been pondering getting a PlayStation just to play journey. Now I don't have to. Exactly. Yeah. It's coming <laughs> right. to Epic. Um, right. Yeah. And, and so they, we know I think that, they have an Xbox exclusive, exclusive title that also is coming do. out. I yeah. can't remember yeah. what it is, but and yeah. so we know that, uh, that rebel galaxy outlaw, is is not coming to Steam now. They're going exclusive on Epic. Super Meat Boy Forever is mm-hmm. going to be exclusive on Epic for That's a year. That's the mobile one they made, right? It's an endless runner. Right. Yeah. So it's the one that they made to launch on mobile. Right. And then I think they realized most of their audience is on desktop. And yeah. if they start on mobile, then nobody will buy it on PC. Yep. So they're going to start on PC and then probably yep. go to mobile. Yeah. Um, Team 17 announced the Genesis Alpha 1, which is mm-hmm. one of their big like dis- space disaster yep. simulator games. Um, that is also not going to be on steam and that's going to, to Epic. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of, of these, like they're big high. Well, the other thing that they're doing, which, which undoubtedly they have to spend an enormous amount of money on Epic does is every week they're going to give everybody a free game every two weeks, every two, every weeks. two weeks right. for next year. Yeah. But so, but think about like, think about the rationale for this though. It's like, it's, it's beautiful because what they're saying is like, yeah, we know all of your games are in steam, right? Like we mm-hmm. know that, right. Um, but we're going to bring all of those same games onto our platform and then we're going to just give you, we're just going to let you have those games, right? Cause like, think about what those, like the first games are Super Meat Boy and Subnautica, right? I don't know what's coming next, right. but these are two of just like Steam the classics, best essentially, right. indie titles of all time, right? That are going to, you just get to have now, right? So, cause I was looking at this and I was like, oh shit, yeah, that, I already know now that I'm going to boot up the Epic Launcher at least every two weeks to make sure that I get the free grab that game from the library, <laughs> even though most of those games are going to be ones that I probably already own on Steam. Mm-hmm. But once I do that, the transition, you're migrating, you're migrating exactly. all the best games from your Steam. Exactly. Library. The transition <laughs> becomes easier and easier to move right. from one platform to another because I think the main thing that Steam has going for it is that it's been the like dominant history. market for 10 years and that people have their game libraries. There. Yeah. So all, all it would take for – when I say all it would take, like it sounds – I'm I'm saying it as if it's not a big deal, which to Epic it won't be, which is all yeah, it takes right. for them to say to Team Meat to be like, hey, we'll give you like $3 million if you put Probably Super Meat that. Boy up for two weeks for free on the Epic Launcher. Yeah. Yep. Um, because that, again, is like an afternoon of revenue. Before <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. It. This is crazy. This is just crazy. Yeah. Also, crazy news Farm Simulator 19 came out, launched a 19. This is the 19th one. They, uh-huh. Did they launch one a year? Or yeah, I two think so. a year. I think they launched one a year. Okay. Um, I was yeah, I was doing some reading about it. they have like these weird off years. I don't know. It's weird. But, okay. But that's a big. That's a high number. Farm Simulator 19 <laughs> is the most unapologetic game. Or is it just for 2019? Maybe that's what it is. No, oh, I don't know. Maybe kind of like how cars mm. have like the next year's uh, number a little bit yeah, early, you know. Um, but so Farm Farm Simulator is basically graphically not really that impressive. They don't really like, they don't try to push like realism in that sense. 
they try to push realism in the sense of like it's just farming like yeah. you're just doing farm shit like you're you're picking up after animals you're feeding things you're driving spreading around. fertilizer mm-hmm. you got to buy your it's like a business simulator plus mundane chores um and so they sold a million copies in 10 days <laughs> so <laughs> power sequels man once you're at number nineteen, you gotta have a good you've audience. Got, yeah, everything's good. Yeah, you're good to go. Um, and they have a they have a, con- a farm con in Germany once oh a year God, now, where awesome. like thousands of people go to talk about farming. Uh, How but, many of these people who play this game do you think have like farmed in real life? Most of them have not. Okay, um, yeah. curious. Just yeah. So I think just because I was trying to, I was trying to like imagine of people are farmers yeah. now. Yeah, so. no, but I was like trying to imagine our our own farm farmer family. Like after, they, after they've been working their asses off all day <laughs> like, and then coming home and sitting down and playing a farm simulator just seems unlikely that that's what yeah, would happen. So. Well, I mean, I know that a lot of people who worked at NASA play Kerbal Space Program. That's true. So who knows? <laughs> that's true. But most people who work at NASA, don't, they don't actually get to do any of the they stuff don't that get you to do go to space. space program. Right. Whereas yeah. a farmer is already doing all the things <laughs> in the farming simulator. It would be like maybe be like somebody being in the International Space Station playing Kerbal Space Program. You no, know, but even that, because they don't get to make rockets, you yeah, know? That's true. That's true. There's like, there's no one person who has the job. <laughs> Maybe if there was a game that was represents. like being in a space station simulator where you yeah. just like hang out most of the day. You got to exercise for three hours on a treadmill. Yep. You got to like pee do into a, bunch a of plastic bag. Mm-hmm. You do experiments, uh, shave your head with a weird vacuum razor, yep. uh, and then go to bed. And that's your, yeah. you do that for six months. Yeah, I can't imagine somebody on the space station <laughs> be like, oh, I got to. I gotta yeah. shave my uh, head in this game. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so that happened. It's just an interesting side note. I don't know. Uh, also, Fallout seventy six. The saga continues. Last week we talked about <laughs> their big PR disaster oh with God. these canvas nylon bags, <clears throat> and at that time we said, "I'm sure we'll have more to talk about next week because I can't imagine that this is the end of yep. this train wreck." And that was well, turned so, out to be correct. Yeah, Adam mentioned earlier that Bethesda has been very good about keeping secrets, but this is a fantastic example of them not. So people who would basically they opened up and said, "Okay, we're gonna we will fulfill your order for this canvas bag or this not canvas this uh, was it or is it canvas it was bag? supposed to be it's supposed to be canvas bag, bag yeah. yeah. So so if you got one, you put your information, submit a ticket through this thing that we built. So Bethesda, the company that makes extremely buggy games, was like, "We built our own." Is this true? Well, it, was it's, it was even worse than that, which was which was. Because Bethesda sold directly to customers and they had a lot of refunds, et cetera, they've got their own customer service uh, portal. Yeah. Right. So, so, so they, they didn't pay to use like Zendesk or something. Correct. They developed their own thing okay. for people to demand refunds, for people who were mad about the game, people who were wanting to get their, mm-hmm. their uh, so bag, canvas bags. Classically, Bethesda's sort of always been the butt of the joke is that they, they just release really buggy games mm-hmm. and then rely on the community to fix it. Right. It's so – they also have this piece of customer service software. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Turns that's out that's on the web. Yeah, harvesting private personal information. So people submitted their tickets to get this new bag, and when they got redirected, they could see all of the people who had been submitting they, these tickets, yeah. as well as their home addresses and phone numbers. And occasionally, was there credit cards involved? There were some people, some people could find uh, like type of credit card and last four digits of right. credit card number, which of course isn't enough to really do anything with. Um, well, I mean, but, most private data by itself isn't, but it's always in combination with other private yep, data. Yes. Is the so it, that's, yeah. So essentially <laughs> they, so yeah, if you, if you went to report your canvas bag, then Bethesda's <laughs> like, thank you for your ticket. Now here we're going to expose you to potential identity theft. Um <laughs> I don't know. Just what, just, a, <laughs> what a disaster. I, I mean, 
we've been talking about this whole this whole thing for weeks now. Um, so we'll. Ju- I mean, we just we've said it. We've said it all. I don't know. Yeah, who does? Move on. This is just next. a. It's just next a thing that happened. Uh, just, Smash Bros. Ultimate came out. People, thankfully, it's good. People love it. We all needed something. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it's fantastic. I haven't played it yet, so I've got to play a little bit. I but. think the nice thing about Smash Bros. Ultimate is that people expected something to happen, and then it did. It's nice. Which, given what's been going on the past few weeks, is just a weird thing. <laughs> it's a weird thing about it. Uh-huh. Defies um, expectations. Yeah. Is, that, is it the last major title to drop this is year? It, yes. As far as everybody knows, I, I mean. I think so. I don't know. I don't know if there's any other big ones launching. It is because it is kind of late for for even this one to come out because yeah. especially like Nintendo's really big on holiday spending. Yeah. Like that's kind of like their main driver mm-hmm. of the year. And uh, the fact that they're going to launch their biggest title of the year, like when everybody's already bought all their Christmas presents, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it is still a couple weeks before. Maybe they're, looking, they're hoping for the procrastinators or people who, who get the Switch for Christmas. Yeah, yes. they can go and to the shop. They got a gift or, card yeah. or whatever. Yep, yep. yep. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of switches sold this Christmas. Definitely. Um, yeah. So I know we spent a lot of time on the news today, but goddamn, it's been things a things need to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, like, I think earlier in the year, um, you know, we would only have like five minutes of stuff going quiet. on in the industry to talk like about. Happening. Sometimes there wouldn't be anything at all. It was mostly just sort of like drama kinds of stuff, you know, yeah. just like infighting of some sort or another or somebody being Twitch offensive about being something. racist. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. But now it's like interesting business stuff happening. Yeah. Some shakeups happening. Yeah. Yeah. And all that other stuff is still happening, but this is just now. It's being overshadowed. Nobody cares. Um, okay. Well, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. So if you'd like to get your question onto a future episode, you can get over, get on over there and then get do the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> question in there. Uh, first question comes from Lekki. 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 L-E-K-I-Y. I'm not sure what this gotcha. is. With Scuffle Buddies, uh, not your active project, you occasionally dip into it in order to keep it active in your head meets. How does the studio manage having multiple projects without abandoning them? That's a great question. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this, I think, a couple months ago. Um, with Scuffle Buddies being on the back burner more so, and then more and more so on the back burner, and then making its way slowly to the incinerator that's well, we, at the back of the back burner. If you think of the back burner as like you know, the part of the rocket that shoots the rocket forwards that blows fire and it, and it, and plasma out. And then it jettisons itself so yeah. that the rest so of the kind of we kind of put Scuffle Buddies behind one of those burners. It wasn't like – We put it – we put it on the burner, you know? So, like, okay. So I think this is that, interesting. That caused it to be incinerated because mm-hmm. we turned up the back burner too high. Yeah. This is something that we've we've actually said multiple times throughout our, our podcast history, which is that uh, there is no such thing as the back burner. Mm-hmm. The back burner is an incinerator because if you've got a project that you're genuinely excited about and you think it will succeed and you have a clear vision for what it is, you do not put it on the back burner. Yeah. Yeah. It stays on the front burner mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, and so if you're putting something onto the back burner, there's a, something wrong. There's a reason. There's a yeah. reason for that. Well, and there's never – you never run out of things to put on your front burners. Yeah. You know? so, so the moment something gets back burner status, it's not coming out of there. It's not coming mm-hmm. back because mm-hmm. the thing about the back burner is it's way back there. And you can't you, see it. And you got to reach over whatever's in the front burner to get it. Yeah. You know? Which is dangerous. It's yeah. dangerous. dangerous. You got um, splashed oil on your arm. Yeah. You know? So basically what happened with Scuffle Buddies 
is it was huge in terms of like how much time we thought it would take to get it to a state where we could release it. But also it was fucking weird. (laughs) So occasionally occasionally we make a game that is too odd in the sense that it can't. It defies too many expectations. Yes. So people wouldn't know how to describe it, wouldn't know how to play it, wouldn't know how to think about it, wouldn't know if they should buy it. Right. And then if you put that in combination with like usually each project we take on, we like to be stretching in some domain, right? So whether it's, oh, we need in Scuffle Buddies is going to be basically this matchmaking technology for doing online matches for people mm-hmm. um, as well as actually doing the online matches, doing the online matches yeah. as well as balancing basically what ends up being this sort of massive pet battling game but like it's a, a strategy, card game it's like a strategy card game with pets pets and f- but it's also things. capture the flag yeah. and, exactly you know, so <laughs> and and then, and then looking at the art requirements for that too and being like okay like we're, we were stretching in every single dimension um which was basically a bad move because essentially what it meant is that making any progress on that game not only was hard to do but then usually just opened up uh, another arena through which we had to like. There was no point where we made enough progress that we were like, "Oh, we have it now," and now we can just kind of produce. Um, we were just constantly pushing against that barrier. We had a bunch of cool time. prototypes of different, like basically fragments of it, yeah, um, that were pretty neat. It was like a bunch of little neat little toys that we were trying to figure out how do we make these not just be toys and how do we get mm-hmm. them to all play. I mean, the the it was an you know it was an open world collection game where like you go out and you could interact mm-hmm. with everything was part of the premise, right? You mm-hmm. could interact with anything. And then somehow that was going to tie back into a card battling game. Yeah. So you go out in the world, you put down these traps, you put bait on the traps, depending on the bait and depending on the thing around, buddies would come out. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to have to battle them somehow. So essentially, yeah, the the buddies had their own environments that they lived in Mm -hmm. and you had to kind of like learn where they lived. So you would like put a trap down and then the traps had three slots and you could put like different kinds of worms or like berries or Mm -hmm. whatever. And then depending where you put the trap, what was near the trap, then you had different chances of different things emerging. Mm-hmm. They would come out. Then there was like this weird, uh, <laughs> this weird like turn-based game where the buddies would like work their way toward your trap. Yep. And then you had all these items that you had with you that you had to like throw, throw at the buddies. And deploy basically. And deploy. So you like, you deploy things to like scare some of them away. Cause you just want to catch the one you, you want to catch the one. Right. And so you, so mm-hmm. it would like, get onto the trap it would take the bait and then like start to run away mm-hmm. and you and had then to- the trap would fire and if depending on how far they were there was this tethering mechanism the whole thing was insane so yeah. <laughs> but it was i mean it was kind it, of awesome no, no, it, was, it was super cool it was yeah. cool and it worked but in terms of being relatable and like it, it would be hard for people to grok yeah so, right? so like, people would just like, be like oh i get it it's yeah. the sort of game that that to me on the art side we just we would need a whole sort of ratcheted up level of power to get people to buy it by looking at it because it's exactly the sort of game where like yeah you are not going to know what the hell is going on you just it, just has, yeah. to, it has to look so good that you <laughs> that just, just want it. want to look yeah. at and i and at the time like we just couldn't i was like i don't think i could frankly do this like realistically this is just this is such a heavy game it's unbelievably heavy it's got this this strategy component we got like hundreds of these buddies and we had like 40 or something by the time we're done yep um and then we also have this world. So we built a zone and built, started building a town and characters in the town. Like the whole thing was just. I, I think the gigantic. other difficulty was like we kept trying to find different ways to incorporate interesting loops into the game. And we found was that the core part of the game was very strategy based. It was almost like a Hearthstone, right? Like mm-hmm. you've got 
each buddy has its own little like couple of things that it does. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we start to dynamically modify those, like let's say, let's say you've got a buddy that just like punches other buddies in the face as it runs past them, which we have. Mm -hmm. The bum poggle. The bum poggle. It Mm -hmm. runs past and it punches everybody. Everybody. Uh, (laughs) And so if you have a, a leveling system, then now all of a sudden you can't really like understand what the effect of a bum poggle on the board is because mm-hmm. the, your opponent's bum poggle might be level one and it's just like barely putting a dent in the faces of your buddies. Mm-hmm. But you've got a level 30 bum poggle and it's just one-shotting everything, right? And so in a in, in like an action RPG or something like that, that's fine uh, because you see something that's level 30 and you're like, oh, shit. But in a strategy game, there's like nine different things happening at once yep. on the board and you need to be able to instantly look and see, you know, what what's what. Yeah. And so, so we found that we couldn't really incorporate that kind of a system. Yeah, um, really the trouble was like we had we had this key, the original element, which came from that jam game. Came right? from Snuppy Rustling, which you can still Rustling. play at uh, our itch.io yeah, page. Yeah. I, the server is offline because that only barely worked anyway, but right. you can still play. You can play, yeah. you can play against, against the AI, AI who behaves randomly. Yeah, which actually turns out is still a very fun. tough component. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that, so that was the core idea of the game that we had, but, we, but when we were looking at it, we were like, this has to be bigger than this, right? Because this is just, it seems this, is just a, this is just a single thing, yeah. you know? And and the problem was, is like that I, that original idea of this, like, this strategy game, but that where things are moving around a lot and you have to be able to identify us at the same what what they are, just didn't square well with any Anything of else. the other ideas that we yeah. came up with all the way up to the very end before we kind of like put it under the rug and moved on to level head, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just turned out to be not the thing that we wanted to be working on yeah. ultimately. Like the, the the core system was so monolithic and so involved that we just couldn't really find good ways to tie it into any kind of a bigger story or anything like that. So, which isn't to say that we wouldn't have been able to if we had like continued working on it up to now. Um, I'm sure it would have evolved into something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it I, would have. But it was, it was one of those things where there's sometimes when you're working on whether it's a game or or just anything where you can you start to recognize that maybe it's just the total amount of work that's required to figure out what work is required. Uh, like the the combination of those two things is just too fucking high. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think for us it also came down to about once a month we would have to sit down and have these like soul searching conversations about like what the fuck is this thing like mm-hmm. we. We just couldn't – we couldn't figure out what it was that we were trying to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's – Versus Levelhead, which was from the very beginning. Very it was clear. Very clear. Yeah. And, and it's, it's – only, only got clearer over time. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there was no point when we were developing Levelhead where we felt like it wasn't fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or where we couldn't understand why it would be fun. Yeah. Or, or where we couldn't understand its place in the market. Yeah. Even. Yeah. So, yeah, it's – I don't know, but I, I will say that there are there are things that came out of Scuffle Buddies that I'm really excited to apply to other things going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if we work on a Crashlands two, which we have are not, not are not at the moment, and we have not discussed what that plan might look like, um, or a Quadrupus two, or Quadrupus two. Yep. Uh, in Scuffle Buddies, we had this overworld with this interesting uh, generic interaction system where you could like – you could try to use any item on anything. So if you had like a machete, you could like walk up to a rock and like try to use it on there and we just hid all kinds of weird things in there. Like one of them was there like this popcorn bush thing. Mm-hmm. You walk up to it and you like rub the bush. And you get some corn. And then like – yeah, Huge corn this kernel. Big, this big corn kernel comes out. Like a coconut. Then, yeah. And then that was it. You're like, well, fuck, 
what do I do with this? Um, and so then if you went back to town, there was a fire in the town. And if you like, if you equipped the, the popcorn kernel in your hand <laughs> and went up and like put it in the fire, then you would retrieve a popped kernel. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a lot like Breath of the Wild actually. Yeah. And then you could take that popped kernel and like get a, you could get a vial, go to the town well, fill that vial with water and then go to your little workstation Mm -hmm. and combine them to make like popcorn dough, Mm -hmm. which you could then put (laughs) into a trap to catch a buddy. Right. And so there were all these like just weird things that we could easily layer in there with this generic interaction system. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the kind of thing that we get to now, like now that we know how to do that and it's very easy to do actually, then we can now carry that kind of stuff forward. So. Uh, so that's kind of where that's at. Uh, next question comes from Razor39325. You guys read a lot of books, but when do you read them? How do you fit reading into your daily life? <laughs> Interesting. Um, uh, I, I read before bed every day, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's basically get ready for bed, get in bed, and I just sit there reading until I'm too tired to stay awake. That's kind of like my my nightly routine. So that's where I would say like that's where all of my non-binge reading comes from. Yeah, because that you can't do before bed otherwise. Well, the problem is I still do. And so, so when it comes sleep. to like any any f- story based any story based yep. book, they um, get you. Then uh if it's like if it's if it's not super exciting, this still works out just fine. Uh but if it's got like those really good hooks in it, mm-hmm. um so like the the Mistborn trilogy just about killed me. Yep. Um Codex Alera, I think I was dead for six days. I, That's how the, the I, Expanse, I, I just and I just read the Ancillary trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh and so I finished that this during the week this week, uh, which fucked up my sleep schedule quite good. <laughs> um, and uh, and those so th- yep. those will, those will typically binge, but still, it's like I'll start reading them when I get in bed. Like the ritual is still there. Right. It's just that now I might not stop until it's way too late. Uh, or and then on weekends. So on weekends, if I'm reading nonfiction stuff, um, or sorry, if I'm reading, yeah, if I'm reading nonfiction stuff, and on weekends, I'll still it's still just part of my nightly routine. Interesting. Yeah. But if I'm reading you know, story-based, really engaging stuff, then typically weekends are like part of the binge time where I'll just like lay down on the couch, read for six hours. In the hours. morning, you just know, think get about, the cat on me and then just read for six hours. Think about what it was like before it was possible to binge consume content. Yeah, back when you had to like go out in the world and buy things. Yeah, so like you'd buy, you'd get a book from the library or you'd buy yep. one or whatever. And then when you finished it, you're like, well, I'm done now. I have done this. And now I want the next one. So I'm going to get it. Go like make a trip to the next town over. I mean, this is actually what I like about, about the, about using, cause I use the library to get the ancillary trilogy. Right. And so I read the first one and I couldn't get the second cause they only had one copy and somebody else had it. And even on Kindle, they still have only one mm. they can put out at a time. Right. Yeah. So, so then it was, I think three weeks later when I actually finally got access to the second one. And so then I like read that again, then I binged it, like read the whole read the <laughs> fuck out of it. Right. Over, over like two different nights. And then but then the third one was already available the moment that one was done. So I had to like, then I finished mm, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it is kind of an interesting technology. It's, it's basically, it's, you know, it's the, it's the cryptocurrency, right. Yeah. Model where, where one thing exists, only right. one person can have it at a time. And so by using it that way and by checking it out from the library, even when it's a digital good, uh, I think that's, that's going to help a lot. That's kind of my new strategy, but there's a, there's a problem with it though. Which because it's all time limited and you never know when the book is going to be available, mm-hmm. you might suddenly have like four books at once. And now you got to read all of them. <laughs> you now you've got two weeks yeah. to read them all, you know, uh, which is where I have found myself twice now. Um, and then you got them. So actually this year, I, I haven't been, this is part of my thing for this year was to stop reading so much actually. Um, it's a problem. It's a problem because I used to read, <laughs> I think last year I read 
like 28 books. The year before that was like 35 or something. My wife has read 115 books this year. Gee. <laughs> uh, several a week, huh? Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, I mean, it is part of her job because she's a writer. Yeah, in her case, it's yeah. her job. So for me, I was but like, even I, still, that's, that's a lot. Of a lot. Books. Well, you know, we, we talk a lot about you know if you want if you want to put something else on your plate, you should take something off. And so for me, it was like I want to actually practice art, get good at it, which means I need to quit reading because I'm just reading. Like that's my sort of go to activity. Time actually. time filler. Yeah, well, not even a time filler, but like just the thing that makes me it both makes you feel good, makes me you know feel smart, that sort of thing. Um, gives me good stories. And so when I do read, though, even now, like whenever I get the chance, I still. If I if I can make the excuse that there's no way I can possibly do art in this particular scenario, then I will just inhale a book. So like when we were driving, when we were flying to uh, visit my wife's family in Boston, I already I just finished my assignments for uh, my those two classes I'm taking for art, and uh, the lectures hadn't come out yet. And so I was like, okay, so I guess I can't do any art. I can't do any art. <laughs> it's not today. possible. It's just not possible. Yeah. And so and I just read a whole book for it was a four hour flight. You know, just read the whole book. Yeah. Um. And like that's what I just still love just eating books, but I, yeah. I try not to actually. So I think the like the daily habits. So your problem is is not when to find time to read books, but how to stop reading books yeah. all the time. Because it, re- it really is like a, it's it's a good thing to do, but the reality too is that you don't, especially if you're reading the books, the sort of books that I read a lot, which is I'll read a, like a few fiction books a year, and then primarily read nonfiction or like sort of productivity and self help sort of things. And at some point, you actually hit a cap on those where like most They're of the just things are the, the same. same. Shit. Yeah. And well, what they're, they're well, actually, is, you're reading it the same way you read a fiction book at some point, right? which is that you're reading it for the entertainment value. But yes. in this case, it's now with the added misconception that you're getting some real human value yes. out of it. Too. So basically, I, I recognize that this is like an infotainment product at this point. Exactly. For I've sort of I've capped It's like out. the news. Yeah, which means that my <laughs> yeah. my behavior needs to switch from reading about those things to just doing whatever the things is that everyone's been telling me to do for literally – a decade now in all right. these forms of books. Get your shit together, plan, and then do things. That's the those. That sounds like activities. a title of a book you should put together. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it does. It, and then and you, that, you open it up, and the inside just says, "See the cover." See title. <laughs> well, I see. It's, it's the joke about a lot of self help books, but I, like you could just explain it in a sentence. But the reality is, I think people kind of need to be hammered away at over like three hundred pages before uh, they're like, books. "Okay, yeah," or three hundred books before they're like, "Okay." I understand. Yeah. I need to do things. I think maybe yeah. a bigger question is how could a person not have time to read even like a, a few books in a year? Yeah. Well, I think, again, it just comes it's down just to what, about priorities, right? Well, it comes down to what your defaults are. So, like, I think the reason why reading is so easy for me is because it literally is a default activity where if I'm just like bumming around the house or if I walk by the library, I always go in it because I'm like, I like books, reading is I a like thing books. I do. Right. It's just sort of like it's just sort of a core thing that I do. So I think it just depends on your default. So if your default is something else, we've talked about default habits a lot. Yep. If your default is like you come home and you watch TV, like yeah, that's the there's difference. no yeah. room for books. If there. you yeah. watch shows, if you are on Reddit, if you fall down YouTube yeah. holes or play video games. If you're on Facebook or Twitter all day. So I think it it then you got no time. Yeah. So like that's that's why one of my that goal for this year was just to try to swap those defaults out, which I definitely have it. Like it's not the case that when I'm just have downtime, I'm like, oh, what could I draw? Like that's not a fucking thing that I ever do. <laughs> yeah. I'm like I'm drawing under duress all the time. That's my that's where I'm at still with it. But I'm I assume reading was the same for all of us at some point. Where you're like, remember when it was hard? When you well, were like no, because like because we we something? just read so much. Growing we up. had very limited screen time. And we had to read. So reading was our entertainment. Yeah. I, I mean, I sort of like, like most of the presents that we got were books. That's true. You know? And that, as we got older, that kind of blended into more electronic 
gifts mm-hmm. over time. But even still, we were we like I, I'm pretty sure there was never a birthday or a Christmas that we ever had where we didn't get books. Right, true. It's all about those books. Yeah, it was just a core part of it. So I think that's really the question: is what what are your what's your core sort of default habit or habits? And then if you don't like those, then just read instead of doing those. Yeah, and you got to find ways to to make those changes. We've mm-hmm. talked about things like if you find that you are unhappy and constantly falling into like watching fuckloads of TV or something, uh, cancel your your Hulu or your Netflix mm-hmm. or whatever, or just get rid of your TV. Yep. Um, which doesn't help anymore because now you can have it on your phone and your computer and <laughs> yeah. everywhere that it's there's horrifying. a screen. Yeah. You can- I actually find that using Google Play as my as my delivery mechanism for movies um, is great because they don't have free movies. Yeah. Right. You, you, have, to, you have to pay for all of it. And so that means that that price actually is important and it always feels like a big deal because I've spent money on the thing that I'm doing. And, right. I, and I only use it to try to find titles that I wanted to see during the year, but I'm not, I don't like, I don't generally mm-hmm. go out to movies. So titles that I wanted to see, that have now come out digitally that I can rent for like five bucks, mm-hmm. right? Like, like it's, you find that little Venn diagram <laughs> and there's almost nothing there. It takes you about a minute to find out if anything has fallen into that category yet. Uh, and and then if so, you got to go buy it, you know? And that's a decision as it well. It's a decision, yeah. But but it's like, it's very, these very quick decisions. It's not something feel, you can do on accident. Yeah, you can't do it on accident. It feels important. And and I still, like, I still get caught in the in the Netflix trap all the time because it is just like infinite stuff is just available. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. by trying to switch over to mostly using stuff that I pay for instead. And so, cause there's something about like, it's, it's hard to identify the cost on your, on your own health and time or whatever of these things, but it's still very easy to feel the cost of money. Well, I also think it's though, true. this is so part of put the money in the way that helps. A lot. This is part of the problem with books. <laughs> yeah. Is that they still largely operate on that model. Yeah. Right. So you, if you get a Kindle or even just like the Kindle app on mm-hmm. your phone or whatever, you can get the Kindle unlimited thing, which is a, a monthly subscription of like 10 bucks or something. Something like that. And there's a huge selection of books in there and you can have like 10 of them in on your account at a time. And so then if you kick an old one out, then you make room and you just download a new one. And so you've got tons of books that way. Cause I think the other, the other problem with like somebody who wants to get into reading is like, well, what do I, what do I read? How do I figure out what to read? Cause it's not like just booting up the homepage of Netflix and just like, slapping a, a whatever and just starting to watch something and have mm-hmm. it handed to you. Um, Cause you kind of have to like seek books out a little bit more. Like there's more friction there, mm-hmm. I think. So part of it is like, it's uh, so like we have a, a book list. It's at books.bscotch.net. Yeah. That'll get you there. Start there. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of books there. Um, otherwise, like we listen to podcasts a lot and a lot of times they'll talk about that. Um, there's this uh, podcast called the Ezra Klein show where he just like has guests on. They just talk about interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he always asks him, like, what's your top three books you've ever read? And like, that's a great place. Yep. Just like yep. go to that podcast and just like skip to the last five minutes of each episode to get some good book recommendations. Yeah, and it depends on what you're going for. Are you, are you looking to be entertained or are you looking to learn stuff? Mm-hmm. Some combination of the two because those exist, you know, mm-hmm. like just what are you what are you looking for? Yeah. You got to know what you're looking for before you can go look for it. Because just reading mm-hmm. books as a thing, like that is a that is an activity, but – you know, you might not be, you might be into sci-fi, you might be into romance, you might be into productivity books mm-hmm. or, or whatever. So, or sci-fi romance productivity books. Sign me up for that. Those which, are, I, <laughs> which I hope exists, actually. <laughs> Does that ex- Somebody must have tried it. The, it would have to be That's sort of That's like a hard Venn diagram to hit. <laughs> it would have to be sort of a, like a moral tale, you know. Yeah, true. As far as the productivity goes. But right, because a productivity I mean, book have, is addressing the reader. Mm-hmm. But I have read a novelization of, did, yeah. of DevOps. Right. 
So like this that's kind right, of thing is saying, possible. Yeah. yeah, it has to be sort of the, the story. It becomes the productivity hack. Yeah. So whereas yeah. like you have to vicariously experience the productivity life changing things through the protagonist uh-huh. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and they and they explain it to you as it as it goes right. Um, yeah, so any of you out there listening, uh, I'm pretty sure that's a niche that just is like not a, filled. a romance sci-fi productivity, just like a real sexy alien and uh-huh. robots just doing just doing romance stuff with each other, but yeah. very efficient, but very efficient, <laughs> yeah. efficient. Uh-huh. Yep. Oh man, okay, well that's a good place to leave it. All right, we'd like to thank our <laughs> producer Fat Bard for making us sound good. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. If you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can hop into our Discord server at discord.gg bscotch and come say hello. Also, if you'd like to get some Butterscotch merch for yourself, you can check out our shop over at shop.bscotch.net. Uh, or if you'd like to send us something, we have a mailbox, which you can find the address for at mailbox.bscotch.net. Last but not least, if you'd like to support the podcast, uh, we will grab your money over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.